friends, welcome to Spirit Seekers. Today is Friday, September 25th, and I welcome you to this forum for building community uh, by inviting people to share their faith journeys and life stories. Uh, my name is Lucy Samara. I'm a communications coordinator for First Congregational Church of Burlington, and uh, today I have the pleasure to host Spirit Seekers with our special guest, Anne Tewksbury Fry. Anne is a member of First Congregational Church, a longtime Burlington educator, and a recent author of a self-published book about women in her family. And um, just a very, very happy to welcome Anne today. Um, I've been uh, choosing prayers from Marion Wright Edelman's book, uh, Guide My Feet, lately, and that is true again for today. So let me start us. Um, with these words that I thought uh, rang true for who I know and to be as an educator. God, help me to be honest so my children will learn honesty. Help me to be kind so my children will learn kindness. Help me to be faithful so my children will learn faith. Help me to love so that my children will be loving. So Anne Tewksbury Fry, we welcome you to Spirit Seekers, and I invite you to start by telling us, you know, where you're from originally, about, about your early years, and how that's linked to you uh, developing as a person of faith. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, go to it. <laughs> uh, I was born in Brattleboro and um, grew up there. Um, went to college in Vermont and um, did not always know that I wanted to be a teacher um, at all. Um, I wanted to be a writer and now finally I am. Um, and um, I think that um, I kind of meandered into teaching. I was an English major and so I um, education became my elective and then I was hired in Middlebury at the Mary Hogan School so long ago that Mary Hogan hired me so you know that was a bit ago and um, I grew up in um, excuse me just a second I grew up in the Lutheran Church in Brattleboro a, a pretty small little church around the corner from where I lived had the most beautiful library and a lovely sanctuary and it just it was like family there and um, I grew up there I was confirmed there and I used to spend extra time there by myself um, in those days none of the churches were locked and so if there was something going on at home that I didn't like or I didn't feel comfortable with and I wanted to get away by myself it was a safe place to go no matter how old I was and I taught vacation Bible school there, and I just have lovely, lovely memories of being there and starting my faith journey there as um, a girl. Uh, the confirmation meant a lot to me. Um, it was it was pretty structured, um, and I had read the Bible and completely through, and I gave a sermon when I was about fourteen or fifteen. So I was very involved in the church um, at a young age, and it. Uh, and then I got married there. That was uh, my first marriage. And the, um, the minister said, it doesn't matter where you go to church, just go. Um, so um, 
that's where my faith journey began. And then I, uh, as I said, I taught in Middlebury for a while. Um, um, I had, ch I have two children, Ian and Carrie, who are about three and a half years apart. And um, then I, t I substituted in Virgins, and then I, um, with another couple, my former husband and I opened um, a private school uh, in Ferrisburg called the Otter Creek School, and we did that for five years. Um, and then I taught music in the public school in Virgins in Ferrisburg. Um, my friend, my the superintendent was a friend of mine, and he said, "Do you play an instrument?" I said, yes, um, I do. Um, I play the banjo, um, which actually was not true. Um, the only instrument I had ever played was the piano when I was nine years old. Um, but he took a chance and hired me, so I taught myself to play the banjo over the summer. And um, it was a wonderful job. I just loved it for five years. And, and uh, that was after my private school experience. So that was great. And then I moved to Burlington. Um, I taught in Burlington in the Old North End <clears throat> the whole rest of my career. I remarried. Um, my children went to the Burlington schools having known nothing but a private school their whole time. Um, for the first several years that I was in Burlington, um, I church shopped and I couldn't find a fit um, for me. Um, and so um, I landed at the um, first church and Bob was a minister at that time. And um, uh, I remember coming to your house, Donna, um, for uh, that, are you interested in being, um, you know, uh, a member of the church? So um, I feel like the church has always been my backbone. And uh, I think the way that I, express my faith is um, I talk to God all day, all day, all day, all day. First thing, last thing, and everything in between. Um, and so I haven't been seen much at First Church since so many of us haven't been seen, but I feel like I'm doing okay because I have that warm and loving relationship. Um, I since retired from the public schools and I now teach uh, one course a semester at St. Michael's and that's in graduate education. I actually had Michael and Lucy's daughter um, for one glorious semester, and um, I still continue to do that. Um, so that's kind of me in an educational faith nutshell. There you are. I love the um, interview advice. <laughs> what? The what? The, the advice for people being interviewed for jobs. Keep in mind, you can learn between now and when you start the job. <laughs> I know. I just think I know. that's a. I think that's a great, a great, a great story because you knew you could connect as an educator, right? You had confidence in yourself. It's called fake it till you make it. <laughs> yes, yes. It till you live it. <laughs> and you know, Donna, there was um, a couple of times at the end of the school year. Addison and Ferrisburg and Virgins would get together all their sixth graders um, and have a concert when there were a couple of hundred of them. And I was in charge of the concert. Um, I didn't really read music um, very well. And I had two pianists that were accompanying me and one of which was the superintendent. Um, and that was a little dicey, um, you know, because I just, I. It was a little tricky to be the director and coordinator and 
in charge of all that concert when I didn't really read music, but we did it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I think that's great. So, so here you are, you're a little girl in Brattleboro. Um, from what you said, sometimes things were a little overwhelming at home and the church was really a place of um, refuge and, and quiet and really a lovely sanctuary. To this day, I can remember how the library smelled. It was just so wonderful. And I think I checked out some person donated their entire collection of Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys series. And I read every single one. Um, I loved to go there. It was, it was cool and quiet. And there I was with my God and books. It was, it was mm -hmm. great. <laughs> um, tell me about confirmation. What was confirmation like at that time? What age did you do that? And what, what made it special? I was 13. There was a class of three of us. I was the only girl. Um, we wore white robes and little hats. And we had a book of catechism. I still have it. And I remember that we were asked a lot of questions. 43, to be exact and you had to have memorized the answers. Um, and I, I loved it. I just loved it. It was, um, it was like a little, it was like a ceremony similar to a, a baptism, except there was no exchange like that. Um, yeah, I, it was very special in that church. The, um, you must've gotten to know the, the clergy there, the staff there pretty well, and they, and they, you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm a little embarrassed to say, that I had a crush on the minister, um, um, but I tried to keep that under wraps at 13. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, and we hope that he had professional standards as well. <laughs> Phew! <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, um, Anne, when you, you know, I, I love your story about yourself as a, as a person of faith, and starting, ending, and in between in the day, you're, you're, you feel that in touchness with God. Can you explore that a little bit more? What, what does that mean to you um, in, a, in a particular moment? Well, I feel really blessed. I have the most amazing children. I tell my graduate class that they are perfect children. Um, my father brought me up and told me I was perfect, and I'm sure my own children are, and um, certainly, and then there's the grandchildren, and we know they're perfect, um, and I, I am so blessed. I'm blessed to have had a wonderful um, marriage to their father. I am blessed to have been married to Dan Fry for 34 years, and um, he has two wonderful children. I mean, everywhere I look, I feel like um, I've been blessed. I've had extraordinary careers to me, um, and I've been allowed to grow. I know a lot of people. I just, everywhere I turn, um, I feel blessed. And so um, I feel very comfortable, you know, talking to God. I bring an awful lot of things to him, um, a lot of worries, a lot of concerns, and um, a lot of gratitude um, for Having had my parents as long as I did, my mom died at 86, my dad died at 89, and left me with the famous last words, remember, Anne, Social Security pays forward. Um, and those were his final words to me. Um, so I just feel, you know, 
how lucky am I? And I think that that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book I did because it was part of my faith journey and being grateful for having grown up among such amazing women as I did. So let that, I mean, let's, there are other things for us to discuss, but let's talk about your book right now. I'm going to show it. Good Food and Family Stories of the Morse Women and Their Recipes. So I saw Anne on Facebook with this. And I'm like, I want that. I, I'm really curious about what Anne's going to say about her family members. And I was curious about the recipes and I got a prize, an enormous prize. And that uh, when Anne and I were having our pre-interview, I traced it to the exact summer of 1972 when I had just met Mr. Michael Samara. And um, two things I remember in particular, oh, three. One, he was flirting with me a lot. And I, I, was, I had just finished my freshman year in college, and he was a college administrator. We were both on the summer freshman orientation staff. And um, so I remember that. I remember that I had to find out what his real name was because everyone called him Owl. And I had no, I, I'm like, well, what's his real name? What's his real name? I've never called him that bird name. <laughs> and the other was that I made these stuffed raisin cookies. And I only made them once in my whole life. I had no idea, Michael, the Middle Eastern tradition around cookies is this kind of a very simple dough with a fruit or nut filling. Wow, I made these raisin cookies and then he followed me everywhere. <laughs> and uh, I never, I, my mother, it was some little clipping my mother had from the newspaper, the recipe was. Never could find it again. I've never made them again. And the recipe is in this book. <laughs> so it's a treasure, but I've been reading it and reading about the women in your family and, uh, and many of their recipes are, are from an earlier time and they're, they're framed in, you know, the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, um, kind of focus. So tell us a little bit about this and what this meant to you to write about your grandmother and aunts and mother. And grandmother was such a, a strong per, um, person in my life that, um, I named my daughter after her. And um, so we grew up with this five foot tall woman being a matriarch and just as strong as you could imagine that she would be. She was the mother of 11. Um, one baby died. <clears throat> one child died as an infant. One boy died at 14. And so there were nine left and there were <clears throat> five women and four men. So the story is of my grandmother, Carrie, those five women and the four women that the men married. So on the back cover um, is a picture of, yeah, here's the women and, mm -hmm. and here are the men. Um, <clears throat> and, but it's not a story of the men at all. It's a story of the women. And um, it was a wonderful journey because I got in touch with my cousins who are now across the United States and we were all very close. There were 21 of us and before we married. And I said, I want to write a story about my memories of your mom. And can you give me some extra details? And so that journey was wonderful. And to find out about things I didn't know about them. Um, you know, like one aunt walked across the bridge, the Creamery Bridge in Brattleboro every day. She walked to the Austin School to volunteer. And it was shabby. It was in need of paint. 
So she approached the board of selectmen and said she would paint the bridge. Um, fortunately, they had the good graces to say we can do it ourselves as a city rather than you doing it. But there were stories like that that I just, I had no idea um, about how strong these women were and how much they had to endure. Um, and so for me, it was a, it was a, a journey of faith and love to discover all these things and then connect even more deeply with my family. Yeah, I, I just, I'm imagining what a nice opportunity that was, what a great opportunity that was for your cousins also to, <laughs> to remember their, their mothers in this way and to, to lift up stories about them. The, um, I've been just picking and choosing what I've been reading so far, but I love the story of, which is right at the beginning about your grandmother and the donut making. Can you, t can you tell that story a little bit? Uh, well, my grandmother um, and grandfather lived in a very ordinary house and there were, they had a pantry. Yeah, there they are, Clarence and Carrie. And uh, they lived in a very ordinary house that had a, a pantry that was big enough. It had the sink, a cast iron sink, a little shelf, a little shelf for, for working and then um, the shelves for the, for the larder on the right. And as I think back, there was no other place to, to cook or bake um, in the regular kitchen. So in that little teeny tiny pantry, she would go at, at the end, kind of the way I'm looking at you, and she would do all her cooking and baking and cleaning and cleaning up and so forth, because everything was right there in that little space. So we cousins would get in there at a very young age and just edge in as close as we could to her so that we could be part of it too. Um, it was only room for one, but we managed to make sure we were in there. And then we got, we took turns as we got older, holding the fork that did the turning. And of course they were made in lard and they were beyond delicious. Um, it was great, great. And then, you know, every time all of them got together, they gabbed and they had coffee. And of course there was always food, 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 food. Um, so that's kind of where the story came from. Lots of closeness, lots of coffee, and lots of food and conversation. That um, the donut story resonated with us just because, man, donuts are delicious. But Michael's um, brother still lives in the in the house that he grew up in, and it had a pantry exactly like that. It had a window at the end, but it was, you know, it was, it is really narrow. So you, you know, I could just picture it exactly. The same this one thing. had a window too. I think this one had a window too. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and just, you know, just it wet in their situations wedged between two bedrooms and then the kitchen's out front and there's that pantry. And you, it really is for one person. I, I shared the story of the donut making with the two older uh, granddaughters who are right now four and five and they both were like, you can do that. Yeah, yeah, you can make donuts. <laughs> no. So there's a lot of excitement about this book in my house. Of pressure. <laughs> yes. Have you gotten to the part where it's the Crisco American cake? Um, I, ha I have been saving that for just a quiet moment, but did you want to tell us about the Crisco well, cake? There's not much really to tell. It's just that in, in the era where we merged from cooking with lard um, to uh, cooking with Crisco, and there was a, a recipe in there I couldn't resist um, from one of my aunts and it was called the Crisco American Cake. And I had two kinds of Crisco in it. Um, and I, don't, I can't imagine how it tastes. It's probably great, but um, just the name of it 
the Crisco American cake. Um, I couldn't, I just couldn't pass it by. Lots of eggs, butter flavored Crisco, regular Crisco, and crushed pineapple, baby. You know, that was a moist cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's right next to the uh, favorite stuffed peppers. This is, these recipes, I swear, they're, they come right from Michael's mother's kitchen and my mother's kitchen. Um, were there, what did you, what surprised you? I mean, here you, you wanted to, to write to be published for a long time. What, what surprised you in the process of preparing the book? I think what surprised me were the things that I didn't know. Um, because we're all a very close family and I thought, because I had so many memories, I thought that would make up the crux of the book. And when I talked to the, to the um, daughters and sons, I found out that there were many more things I didn't know. And, and all of that generation, my mother's generation, all of those nine women are gone now, except for one. There's one um, that I dedicated the book to named Sylvia, and she is 94 and living in Guilford um, and in great health. Wonderful. Huh. Um, about um, 10 years ago, I was deeply involved with the uh, New American community, particularly with some Congolese families and their, and their kids. And I was, I, I don't know exactly what year you were involved, but Anne, Anne was really involved with the Burlington school systems, kind of re-look at itself and starting the Sustainability Academy at the former Lawrence Barnes School and the um, Arts Academy. Am I saying that correctly? Does it have Great more dark? Creative Arts Academy at the um, at the old um, H.O. Wheeler School, and and you were on the the vision you know team for that for the city, mm -hmm. and um, so you know I was really impressed with that work, and then I got to visit your classroom, but I want which I, I want to talk about a little bit, but first tell us about what that process was like, you know, to be go from a classroom teacher to looking at creating a new vision for the city. It was grueling, to tell you the truth. It was grueling. And um, we tried not to make it political. As you know, it's very difficult not to make things political um, now and then. <clears throat> the problem was that um, all of the, many, most of the families that were in high need, um, poverty, low income um, families were all sequestered in the Old North End. And so between Barnes and Wheeler, they always had the lowest test scores. They always had the most challenging behavior and teachers didn't necessarily want to teach there. Um, and so what they wanted to do was originally close those two schools. And there were lots of ideas about what to do. And, you know, we could build one school in the South End, one school in the North End. And um, all of those parents, um, those North Street parents and got together and they picketed and they called and they wrote letters and they met with people to say, you can't take those schools away from us. That's the heart of where we live in the old North End. And so the problem began to be, what do we do then? And after weeks, and I would say months and months of meetings, um, we decided that our the best thing we would offer would be socioeconomic integration so that every there was a level playing field throughout the city of um, high poverty and middle class and so, and so forth and so forth. And so there were many ways to do that, but we suggested 
offering two magnet schools in Vermont when people didn't really know what a magnet school was, which is, mm -hmm. of course, a school that attracts a certain um, kind of parents and families. And so we would provide a carrot approach. And that way, if you wanted to come to the Old North End School, you could, and it would be more mixed up. So um, one school was a school of integrated arts, and the other school had been working with Shelburne Farms for years, and it seemed a natural fit for us to be a school of sustainability. And so we dug in, and in a couple of years, there they were. Um, we were nervous, we were scared, we were unsure, people weren't sure, um, but we filled the school with waiting lists, and, um, and uh, test scores have improved, particularly in Sustainability Academy, I think, and um, the level of um, poverty children throughout Burlington has been spread out much more evenly so that now all the schools receive free breakfast and hot lunch to my knowledge. Now I may be wrong on that, but- You're not wrong. Um, yeah. So that was kind of the process. And that yeah. is kind of how we started the Sustainability Academy. That, that took a while too, but we always had community partners. We always had support. And I tried to tell, my teachers that it was like we had to do everything all the other schools had to do with literature and music and art and PE and teaching reading and and writing and and math and social studies and science but we did it through the lens of sustainability and so I said you know it's like Ginger Rogers she had to do everything Fred Astaire did but she did it backwards and in high heels and I felt <laughs> like that's what we were doing but that's that's a beautiful metaphor I um, had the incredible privilege of being invited to your classroom. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm wanting to say it was the first year of the Sustainability Academy, but it, it might not have been. But let's just say it was the first year. And Anne did the most extraordinary thing. She uh, abandoned the normal school furniture, desks were gone, and the children made their own desks. And I just, you know, I'd heard I'd heard some talk of this from um, Tooks, <laughs> from Miss Tewksbury Fry, and I just thought, well, come on now, you know. And, and you know, the big thing about your school desk was remember you could either get one with a lift up top or the look in, <laughs> you know, but make your own. So I walked into her classroom, um, and first of all, and you, when you are the, when you're the teacher, when you're instructing you talk about a magnet school, you're a magnet person. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this woman is completely sparkling in front of these kids. They must absolutely adore her. And their desks were amazing. Made, you know, with branches and sticks and cardboard and whatever materials they found. I mean, that must have, that was a pretty daring thing to do. Can you tell us about that experience in your classroom that year? And, and well, you know, I love about that. I was inspired by an author who wrote a book and told about how he did it. And so it was not my idea, um, but I'd wanted to do it for years. And as you can imagine, nobody wanted to do it with me. Um, there was no other teacher. Um, so I thought, you know, kind of like the little red hand. I thought, well, all right, I'll do it myself. Um, and so I had them design their desks in cardboard first, because I thought if they just draw it, it's going to be so complex that will, they'll never be able to build it. So they, they did, they designed that. And then we, we sold shares. Um, we became a little mini corporation and we sold shares 
um, for $25 each to fund our, our project. And our dividends would be poetry and homemade bread and artwork, things like that. So we, we had enough um, donors from around the city, including the mayor and uh, chairman of the school board and people like that, that, that we had enough money. And then it was before we were recycling a whole lot. So this was not recycled wood. If I had to do it again, I would do it with recycled materials, but we didn't. Um, we got plywood and one of the custodians took his truck and bought the materials we need needed. And I had in my head that there'd be two children and they would make a desk that would be like this. And one would be on one side and one would be on the other and it would be half the labor. And they wouldn't have anything to do with it. They didn't want that. They wanted their own desk. So they were in charge. It was their corporation. I mean, I was the teacher, but I said, okay. So um, they designed them <clears throat> and they built them. And I got approval from the principal. And when we talked to the school board about it, um, the superintendent said, so I just want to be sure that um, it's not because you don't have desks, right? It's not because you don't have the money. I said, no, not that at all. Um, so we didn't have any furniture and we kind of patterned ourselves after the pilgrims. Um, we, uh, we had each had a little cardboard box and we had our pencils and this and that in it and books and we had bookshelves for books and I didn't have a chair or a desk. Um, no, that's not right. I had a chair, they had chairs. So they could sit on their chairs or do work on their chairs. Um, and it was December before we got them done because all along the way we had to do everything else that you need to do in school. Um, but this was a lot of great math. It was a tremendous amount of writing and so forth. And um, then we had money left over. We were trying to decide what to do with it. It was a grand total of about $268 we had mm -hmm. left over. And that was a big deal for a fifth grader. And so they tried to decide who needed their money the most. So we interviewed a few people and Lucy was one of them. And she came to us and sat down and, and talked about, you know, um, I think you talked about jump mm -hmm. and, and how we could help people. And so that's how she came into the class. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think it was a great project and it really speaks to community building and connecting that you were, you didn't do this in an isolated way. You involved the city government, the administration of the school and how, how exciting for the kids to think Great, that, because that was the real focus. Cared about them. It was, it was not so much about the building. It was about building community and mm -hmm. we studied communities. Um, we had ants and worms and pen pals in Palestine and um, across town and met regularly with different groups. And so it was all about learning to be a community and, and having your vote count. Um, at that time, our youth group was very involved with the Sarah Holbrook Center, so there was some overlap and some kids, I, I ended up visiting several classrooms uh, um, with some new American families and I was in and out of the school for a couple of years and I, I just feel like that day was a, a start of a, you know, really nice experience for me. Um, just knowing kids in your classroom that we, I then saw at Sarah Holbrook and back and forth and it just, you know, it's just a really positive Thing and that the those two schools have really continued beautifully and they're they're really loved in the community and it, you know that's that's been really wonderful to see I think that was really 
really important work that um, you were able to do. I was, How just a part of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just a part of it. Yep, just part of the team. Just part of the team. Well, that, I'm really, I really think that that's good work. Do you, um, and do you feel like your your faith uh, journey informed you as a teacher? I feel like I couldn't have gotten anywhere without it. I mean, there there are all the struggles that we as mothers um, and fathers have in bringing up our children, and you know, someone that's not not on the straight and narrow or in my case, I went through a divorce and, you know, there's your parents that might be sick and ailing. And when I was a sophomore in college, my mom um, had uh, breast cancer and was operated on at the Peter Ben Brigham in Boston. And mm -hmm. I remember I was a student in Castleton State College. And I remember they had a teeny tiny Episcopal chapel downtown. And if you can say downtown in Castleton, mm -hmm. and I remember going there and mm -hmm. I just feel like um, I never... I was never alone and because I, I couldn't have done it alone. It was just too much stress. And um, I felt if I could lay it on the shoulders of someone else who would take away some of that stress um, and hold my hand and walk with me that, that we could do it. And so it was huge, it was huge. Lay down your burdens, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Um, so, and the person of faith, and the educator, and the author, and the family member. <laughs> I mean, these are, are all really distinct um, things about you. Is there something else that you want people to hear about what makes for a good life and faith journey? What everybody knows, I think that we get so much joy out of doing for others and finding our niche and how we can help you know other people for me it happens to be my former students i'm in touch with some of them from the old barns and wheeler schools and and can help them out sometimes um with advice or, or rides or when i can to you know s some money and advice and i think that to do for others ends up fulfilling your soul. Um, the more you give, the more you get back. I think life is cyclical like that. And so I feel like I'm fortunate once again to be a pretty joyful person because I've been so fortunate. Um, and the more, and then I continue to get more joy because I'm also in touch with my former and present graduate students. Um, and that's, that's a way I can give back as well. I, um, we had the pleasure of going to Dismas House together years and years ago. And so I'm like, now Anne, you know, Dismas House is a home for parolees, Burlington, I'm getting you all prepared, right? So we go into dinner, we brought dinner, we sit down at the table and uh, more than one person around the table goes, Tui, how are you? So that's when I learned your nickname, Tooks, and that's when I met some of your former students. And you did exactly what you're doing right now. You just you just lit up, so happy to see them. You you absolutely remembered them, and um, it just that's when I met the Tooks side of you. It's like, oh my goodness, how, how sweet is that? I, I told a longtime Burlingtonian this morning that I was interviewing you today on Spirit Seekers, and that person said Tooks knows all. It knows all. 
<laughs> but you know, when I when I sat down at that table, I feel like I felt like, and I still feel like these are my peeps. You know, mm. these are these are the people that I've loved and nursed, and and um, I always said to my husband Dan, if I'm somewhere at two or three o'clock in the morning and have a flat tire, I want to be on North Street because I could <laughs> knock on a door and say, "Hi, I'm Tukes. Could, could you help me out? Help." <laughs> Yeah, that, I, I think that's great. Now, I want you to talk a little bit about your graduate teaching because I know that's given you a lot of satisfaction to be teaching teachers. So can you just, you know, share what's most special about that? Well, it changes every year, which I think is the gift for me, is that um, this year, I, re I first of all, I teach graduate education and the name of my course is Curriculum Management and Assessment in the K through six classroom. But what I try to do is there's a course on social studies. There's a course on, on, on reading and writing and so forth. So I don't have to teach those particular subjects. What I do is try to teach teachers how to teach them. And so we do a lot of project-based learning, learning through projects, learning around, learning about what's in your community and not necessarily, um, you know, what's happening, um, maybe uh, in Europe or something, we try to stay local and be a, um, a master of that. But I think that the thing that gives me the most pleasure is, is reading the environment of what's happening in the world today. And so I had to revamp my syllabus a lot because the world is changing. And <laughs> we now need to look at curriculum through different lenses. We can't just mm -hmm. say, this is the way it was because that's the way the history book said it. So. Mm -hmm. um, they constantly challenge me and I tell them each year I learn more from them than they do from me. Um, uh, there's lots and lots of discussion and it's just uh, this year it's particularly hard, but um, we are meeting face to face. It's a very small group, so we're able to do it safely. And then we have one young woman who is doing remote learning with us because she has a father who's ill. So we do her at the same time that we're doing the class. Um, so everyone feels welcome. That's wonderful. I just love it. And then I want to go back to your very first thing. And that is that um, you did not picture yourself being a teacher, that you wanted to be a writer. And now you have, you published this book. But I want to just have you talk to us a little about, your, about yourself as a writer. And if you, if you were to you know, what's your next writing project? I guess maybe I'll put it that way. Well, I'm, I'm blessed because I'm part of a writer, a memoirs group. And um, we used to meet in Middlebury and then we would meet in Pajans because it was in the middle for, for me. Um, and now we meet, we Zoom, of course. Um, and it's a, it's a group that, that um, we nurture each other's writing along. We listen, we um, rejoice with them. We gently critique and ask questions of them to help clarify their writing. And we meet every two weeks. So um, I, I don't think I could maintain it if I was on my own. Um, so that's part of what I do. And I, I don't know, I, I had thought to myself, if I were to do another project, it might be about my cousins because there, there are now 19 of them. And they are all amazing cooks. And um, there's lots of ready photographs and so forth. So 
I don't know. It would be nice to branch out and do other kind of writing, but this is the writing that, that calls me, I guess, is what I'd like to say. Yeah. Yeah, it really speaks to hearth and home. And I, I, I know I'm getting a lot out of it and out of reading this, and I keep thinking about, well, I'm wondering about the five, we have five granddaughters, and what would they want, how will they know about, you know, some of the people in their family? And I just think that this is a treasure, you know, this kind of writing is, is really to be, to be treasured and lifted up. So I, I think that that's, um, that's why I did it, um, because I felt there were so many wonderful stories um, and, and pictures and, uh, and recipes, and that what about my children and their children? Would they ever know? Would, would they ever care? Um, and so I wanted to collect things and put them together. It was really a labor of love. Right before we started, I was looking through it some more, and I found the story of the of um, your grandmother's uh, childhood died when she was just about two, and and as I was finishing it, I just thought this is this is such a sad story, but it's so important because it shows the resiliency of everyone, and as young people are realizing that they along with hopefully along with lots and lots of joy. But, um, you know, we want kids' lives to be full of joy and love and support. But there's also going to be tragedy and loss. And to see people um, move forward with their lives, it's very hopeful. I think that's one of the reasons I dedicated the book to my Aunt Sylvia was because one of the things that I wrote about her was that um, that's true for all of us, I think, is um, sometimes things were okay and sometimes they weren't. Yes. Um, and so what we have to do is figure out how we're going to get through the times when they're not okay and, and make a full cycle around. And we all go through times when things are just plain not okay. And right. that's the time I, I try to feel like I'm not alone. Yeah, I think that's where we can learn the most from each other in many ways when there are hard issues to face. Um, and when we aren't just glossing over life, you know, it's just a barrel of parties, you know, to really look at tough issues together is really important and it's really important in a community of faith. So I, I want to think, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go right ahead. I was, I also think that there's something about the older I get, the more I appreciate every day that I wake up and, and the beautiful <laughs> sunshine and the people that I meet and, mm -hmm. you know, it's a joyful time in my life. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to, uh, to know you, Anne. So I want to invite uh, Diana and Janice, Maggie, Michael, and Donna. You can unmute you and uh, you know please join in the conversation. Um, if you have something to say, question, comment. Um, Ann, I thought I heard you say you were you taught at Mary Hogan for a while. Yes. Can you hear me? She, she's saying yes. When was that? Hmm. What's, we've lost your voice, Anne. There we go. Unmute. She's got to unmute. She's muted. Yeah. No, she's muted. I know, hon. <laughs> there we go. No. You know what, Anne? We still can't hear you. Something to do oh, with the yellow around the box. Mm-hmm. She's not picking that up. Yeah. 
this um, this happened to me the other day, and I had to leave and come back. Isn't that kind of awful? But we, I know we want to hear what you have to say. I think we'll see you came from your area. That um, when, that's, you move, when you moved something before, she came back on. Um, and what you need to do is to sign out and then come back. And that would be great. Thank you. Okay, so you folks help me out because I know that at the end of the podcast, people want would love to hear what, what else um, Anne has to say. Um, Diana, were you were you you weren't in town when they were, or maybe you were when Sustainability Academy and the Integrated Arts Academy were getting started? Were you aware of that those changes? I I wasn't. I wasn't, uh, well, I was, I, I'm not sure, but I was just talking to my daughter about who, I don't know if you all know, my daughter, son-in-law and dog drove across the country from Idaho and arrived on the weekend to see me. I am thrilled. How wonderful. Anyway, we were talking, she's quite a advocate for education and so forth. And also for, for the whole social action stuff going on now. And he was talking about the schools being so important for sharing and to be with so many different people. And I was trying to, so and I was so happy to hear the background of how the sustainability yeah. and the, and the uh, uh, Joe Wheeler, uh, the integrated arts. And I remember that the daughter of one of my friends met with her friends and they had, they must've been able to have a choice of where their children would go Yes, it was heart wrenching, uh, intellectually, emotionally. They all wanted their children to have the quote best education, and they weren't sure how to go about that. If they should have their children go out of the neighborhood and come down to the old North End, or to go up on the hill, I remember that very, and that was quite a time for, for our city. Oh, Anne, we still don't have you. No. Now she's muted. Uh, unmute herself. Anne, unmute yourself. It's down in the lower left corner. There now, you go. now she is. Now, now we've just lost your voice completely. So frustrating. Hmm. Well, I will just say that I'm so grateful to Anne and the other people that worked on making those two Old North End schools so vibrant. Wow, what a super part of this, of our city, but because I live in the Old North End, I see the kids going back and forth and I know the parents and I vote there and what, what a gift to this community and thank you. And I'm so happy to learn of your participation and importance in that. I, it's just really, I, I just love it. So thank you. The summers that we were, we still can't hear you, Anne, so I'm just going to say a couple more things. Okay. Aha. Uh -huh. um, so the several summers that um, our high school students from First Congregational Church were involved with the Sarah Holbrook Center, we spent a lot of time at the Sustainability Academy, which is the old Lawrence Barnes School. And the in the gymnasium, in the hallways, there were all of these inspiring quotes that had yes. been written or paint, painted yes. on and kind of yes. mural 
murally designed, you know, flowers and bright colors and just really, really inspiring words. Um, Absolutely. That I thought were wonderful for the kids to hear. And I was just telling about how inside the Sustainability Academy, there are all these quotes up. And, you know, it's just the kids are surrounded by inspiration. Um, mm -hmm. I used to uh, visit family in Washington, D.C. a lot. And I, in a very formal way, that's the way I think of that city, all those beautiful words to inspire the best in our democracy. But right mm -hmm. in the old North End of the Sustainability Academy, the same thing is with all kinds of, you know, colorful, beautiful paint. Um, mm -hmm. So Anne, Anne's going to try again. I, I just think those schools have been really wonderful. And I, I also remember, Diana, that there was a lot of emotion around yes, the change yes, in the schools. Yes. You know, if you... That's right. Would you be abandoning a better education? Would you be leave, leaving your neighborhood school? But you had this other yes. opportunity. So well, and really what I remember, what I remember too, was all the the parents of the um, immigrants or new Americans, excuse me, uh, when they thought that they were going to be good and sprinkle their children all around the city. And I remember them speaking up and saying, "No, we the school is the heart of our community, and we want to." stay around and we want to come here too. Anyway, it was quite a learning experience for me and I think for our community. Let's see that's great. if that's gonna work. And we have you back in. Yes. Yes, but can you hear me? Yes. Yes. yes uh, there you are. Maggie, <laughs> Maggie wants to, Maggie has something to say. Okay, hi Meg. Okay. I was just gonna say my grandchildren went to Lawrence Barnes Sustainable Community School, and it was the best years of their lives. The oh, that's great. Awesome. Yeah. The teachers were awesome, and they had such a respect for each other. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Anne, I was asking you, what, what years were you at Mary oh, Hogan? I was at Mary Hogan in 19... 68 and 69. Oh, way before my time then. I was in the gotcha. early I was in the early childhood program there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. I think I did my student teaching there. <laughs> was it in Middlebury? Yeah. Oh, I did. I won't tell you how long ago. But anyway, what I wanted to know is uh maybe you said it one before I came in. Um how did you get to our church and how did you get, how did you choose? Uh, um, just a second, please. Um, or why don't you call, uh, you're going to drive over to the school? Okay. Um, Diana, uh, Anne had explained to her earlier that she, I'm sorry. Um, oh, okay. been a she was a church shopper for a while yes. and, then, and then felt she found a good match in our church and, and was, that was when Bob was a minister. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's that's pretty much it, Donna. Is that I, I shopped around and nothing felt right to me. Um, and I didn't. I lived in Burlington, but I didn't want to um, uh, necessarily go to a Lutheran church. Um, those you know, one in South Burlington, and then one in Jericho. And I thought, well, I think I'd like a neighborhood church. I spent quite a bit of time going to St. Mark's Catholic Church, and that wasn't a fit for me. Um, so. Um, yeah, I ended up at First Church, and I and I loved it. 
Well, we're really happy to have you as part thank of the you. community, Anne, and I really thank you for today. Unless any, anybody has another, I think we're, I think I'm just looking around. I think we, we had a, a couple of bumpy minutes with technology, but we managed <laughs> and good for you. And I want to just say six months ago, we would not have been able to resolve that problem, but we did. <laughs> Janice, you've got a question? I have a question. What good. was the, what was the instrument you said you played? The banjo. Banjo. That's what I said. That's what Maggie said. I thought it was piano. No, well, you know what? You're both right. Because it was the piano that I spent a year playing when I was nine years old. So I could read a little music. And I could, right. the, the only thing that got me through was that I could carry a tune. I could That's carry right. a tune. And I could read a little music. But it was the banjo that banjo. I decided okay. to teach myself. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's a good so, one. So, Anne, I've just, since we've gone back to this great subject where you started where you lied during an interview and said you could play the banjo to get a music teaching job i know really not yeah, i just think that's song. awesome do you have a favorite song was there one you particularly enjoy teaching the kids um no just the the woody guthrie songs um okay um and that's all that uh, mostly those and the folk songs lots of songs. on my knee awesome remember that one <laughs> All right, that's the end of the concert. Oh, I know. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> so, so thank you all, and I'm going to close with um, a Marion Wright Edelman, um, just a little calm prayer. God, I thank you for my children. Please be with them today in all their coming and going, and in all their thinking and doing. Amen. And Thank you all, and I will see you next week for Spirit Seekers Friday at 3.